MC Lobshire, the host of the Cash Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cash flow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Laubscher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's episode, I'm going to share the Opposite Wealth Playbook. Before I jump into today's show, I just want to thank everyone that has signed up for, uh, as students for the beta course that I launched, the Holistic Wealth Creation course, and thank you so much for those that have reached out to me and provided feedback and also shared what they like to see more of, and also those that have submitted great questions. One of the students found an extra $2,000 per month in his own personal economy just by walking through the cash flow audit and questionnaire workbook that is included for free within the course. If you're interested to sign up for the course uh, and would like to do so, you can go to yourownbankingsystem.com. It's yourownbankingsystem.com. I've also established a partnership with Mike Maloney and his team at GoldSilver to serve as a resource for Cashflow Ninja listeners that want to buy gold and silver as a form of wealth insurance. I'm a very big advocate of holding physical gold and silver as part of your overall portfolio. I look at it as wealth insurance. If you're interested to buy some gold and silver for your wealth insurance, you can go to cashflowninja.com forward slash wealth insurance. One last quick announcement before I jump into today's show. I also have an investment group where I share some of the investments that I'm investing in and that our group is investing in to explore if you're a good fit for our group. And if you'd like to start the conversation, you could go to cashflowninja.com forward slash investor group. In today's episode, I will reveal the biggest wealth secret that the ultra wealthy individuals uh, and families and banking and financial institutions and corporations have. And I look forward to sharing this with you in today's episode. MC Lobshire, the creator and host of the Cashflow Ninja and president of Producers Wealth. And I'm on a mission to help you achieve economic and financial freedom as quickly as possible. I achieve this by integrating the infinite banking concept with real estate investments to increase your efficiency and returns and recapture cash flow that you're not even aware of that you're losing. I share the number one strategy for investors in my holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. As I mentioned in today's episode, I will reveal the biggest wealth secret that the ultra wealthy individuals and families, banking and financial institutions and corporations have. The secret is that it's really not so secret at all. 
There are no men in dark black cloaks in a grotto uh, or somewhere in a dark castle that swore a blood oath to protect the secret. It's not a secret that is protected by a few powerful individuals that are part of the, you know, the Freemasons or the Illuminati or other secret societies. The biggest secret of the small group of individuals and families, banking and financial institutions and corporations that have really figured out how to create, protect, and multiply wealth in any market and any economy over decades and centuries is right in front of everyone. This small successful group do not do the same thing as everyone else, but only better. Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Mark Cuban do not have 401ks and IRAs and uh, and only manage their retirement accounts better than the majority of people, right? They also do not do things that much different than the majority of people. They do the complete opposite. The complete opposite. So if the majority of people go right, they go left. Come to think about it, really, uh, the chances of you being right and successful by just constantly doing the exact opposite of what the majority of people are doing is, in fact, pretty good if you look at the statistics. So, in fact, your, your chances really are that much better for success in really anything by being a contrarian and doing the exact opposite of what everyone else is doing at that given point in time. In today's episode, I will discuss the opposite wealth playbook. And I've compiled this by researching cash flow ninjas for almost two decades. In fact, the idea of an opposite wealth playbook uh, originated while I was watching a Seinfeld rerun uh, the other day called The Opposite. Speaking of having it all, <laughs> where were you? I went to the beach. Oh, the beach. It's not working, Jerry. It's just not working. What is it that isn't working? Why did it all turn out like this for me? I had so much promise. <laughs> I was personable. I was bright. Oh, maybe not academically speaking, but I was perceptive. I always know when someone's uncomfortable at a party. Can I come over there? It all became very clear to me sitting out there today that every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's all been wrong. <laughs> Tuna, toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. <laughs> well, there's no telling what can happen from this. So if you've ever felt like George Costanza when it comes to money investing, do not stress. We will share the opposite wealth playbook with you today. You know, one of the things that's really, really sad is if you just look at the world, and this is globally, right? Every country, every society, it's really a broken, broken world and a broken planet um, when it comes to 
when it comes to money, right? In the United States, 76% of people live paycheck to paycheck. About 60% have less than $1,000 saved. 47% have less than uh, $400 saved. That's, uh, that's quite astonishing. 33% of student loans are delinquent. And by the way, if you've been paying attention, we just had $1.5 trillion of student loans that's out there. And 33% of those student loans are delinquent. 65% of people are on some form of government assistance. This is in the United States. Savings rate is 3.10%. That's uh, wow. That's that's uh, that's really shocking statistics if you, if you look at that. So this is the results by doing what everyone else is doing, right? And following the advice that the that the herd is following. And I also just want to touch on a couple of middle class traps because there's a ton of middle class traps that actually keeps people captured uh, in the particular situation that they are. So. Some of the middle class traps are home ownership. That's a big one. And we've covered that in several episodes, right? Um, Just in short, I'll just uh, say this again. If you look at what it takes to become an accredited investor in the United States, which is a million dollars in net worth, $200,000 of income per year as a single individual, or $300,000 of income per household, that's what what gets you into the accredited investor category. Um, I always looked at that and said, well, why don't they include a a primary residence in that? So if your goal is to become an accredited investor, which gets you to invest in certain investments and private placements that most of the, it's not available to most of the public, then why would you, why would you fall into that middle-class trap, right? Qualified retirement plans, we've spoken about those 401ks and 403bs and IRAs and so forth, um, having to go to college, right? And again, uh, I'm not a very big fan, if you've listened to anything that I've said on the show about the educational system and also the, the, the colleges and universities, uh, if you can go to college and learn a high income skill set that's going to solve a massive problem for folks, yes, then it's absolutely worth your, your, your while, right? It's that division of labor focusing and specializing in a particular area. For instance, if you're an engineer, um, doctor, accountant, and so forth, yeah, there are still are skill sets that you can learn in colleges um, as they are in their current shape and form that you're going to get out of there and you're going to be able to provide uh, the, uh, the services and um, products that the marketplace wants, right? So you're going to be of value. So there are still situations where, yeah, it, it, it absolutely has a great return on the investment for the money that you put in there. But for the majority of people, again, it's a massive trap that's, that puts them in debt that they're not, never going to get out of. They graduate with, uh, you know, over $100,000 in debt. Um, and um, yeah, they, they, they have to settle for minimum wage uh, kind of income because, they didn't really learn a skill set during that four years in college that the market would actually pay them for, right? If you're not currently where you want to be, I would say financially, one of the things that you have to look at is the data that you've been consuming, right? So if you look at these results that I've just shared, starting with a big picture perspective, and then also look at some of the traps, 
you have to question the data that's every, that everyone's consuming. Because if this is the results that the majority of people are experiencing, then there's got to be something wrong with the data that they consume, right? And of course, where does the majority of data come from that most people have and consume, right? Where do most people get their financial advice from, right? Most people are not listening to podcasts. They're not researching and really trying to understand and educate themselves financially. Most people are consuming media from many different media outlets and also you know, whether it's, whether it be web, whether it be radios, whether it be TV, all different types of media. And these media uh, uh, promote um, Wall Street's agenda, right? And Wall Street's agenda, Wall Street and big banks and financial institutions, their agenda is very, very easy to figure out because you just have to look at their, their business model. Their business model is that they want their, they want your money, right? They want your money on a consistent basis. They get it every, every other week through your paychecks, right? They want to keep it for as long as possible, uh, invest for the long term. And then they want, they want to give back as little as possible and as slowly as possible, uh, when it comes to that, right? So that's basically what it plays into. So if we're going to look at, um, yeah, if we're going to look at why people are struggling, that we have to we have to look at the data that they're consuming, as I've mentioned, and that really plays into the opposite wealth playbook because it's based on a different set of data. Actually, just looking at what these ultra successful, wealthy, and ultra affluent individuals and families are doing, as opposed to everyone else and the information that they're consuming, obviously, right? So the first opposite play that I'm going to touch on, and I'm going to share seven plays with you for the opposite wealth playbook. The first opposite play is a wealth plan versus a wealth strategy. The majority of people have a financial plan, or let's call it a wealth plan, right? Where the ultra wealthy and ultra affluent individuals and families have a wealth strategy, a wealth plan or a financial plan is focused on the accumulation approach, right? You're accumulating money or assets for a period of time. And then eventually when you're going to um, get to the stage of retirement, you're going to try and live off those assets that you've accumulated or converted into income. Uh, a wealth a plan and a financial plan also um, invest, has people invest in a lot of liabilities that they think are assets, right? An asset very simply puts money in your pocket every single month, every single year, and a liability takes money out of your pocket every single month and every single year. So we like to keep things very, very simple. Um, and that's a very, very simple way to determine whether something is an asset or a liability, right? People get deductions taken uh, out of their paychecks first, by, by Wall Street and then the government as well, the taxes, before they even see a single cent uh, that, they, that they've earned. A wealth plan and financial plan is also not very economically and tax efficient. We covered efficiency in a previous um, uh, episode. And it's also the, the entire wealth and financial plan is based on hope, right? Because the accumulation model and approach um, with that, basically, you start. You start when you're young, you work, um, and then you're just going to put your money away, basically, in qualified retirement plans, right? So you, you're going to accumulate it. You're going to leave it in there for the long haul, and you're going to climb this mountain, if you can 
imagine a picture of a mountain in front of you. You're going to climb this mountain through 30 to 40 years, and then you're going to reach the summit of that mountain, right? And then when you get to the top of the summit, let's just say that's ages 65 to 70, right? Different for everyone. Everyone's on a different journey. But let's just say the majority of people are looking at 65 to 70 to retire. When they get to 65 and 70, they're hoping at that stage that, uh, that they've accumulated enough assets or money to be able to live on it for the remainder of their life. They're also hoping that there's enough money to be converted into income, right? Into, into, into income streams. They're hoping also at that stage that, um, you know, that the taxes are still the same. They're hoping that markets are at all-time high when they, uh, when they start to withdraw this money because what if this was 2008 and 2009 and now all of a sudden you're ready for retirement and you're going you're gonna to start withdrawing from this, this, uh, these assets or, or money that you've accumulated, right, over 30 to 40 years. So you're truly try, you're going to time the market if that's <laughs> if that's your plan, right? So there's a lot of hope built up into this. So instead of hope, the very very small group of successful ultra wealthy and ultra affluent uh, individuals and families they have a strategy which focuses on cash flow. Because if you just think about it, right? If your end goal, using that scenario where you climb up a mountain for 30 to 40 years, you get to the summit, and at that stage, your options are to draw down your, your assets and your money, right? To live on that for the rest of your life or convert it into income, which a lot of folks do. If you're going to end up converting it to income and income streams, shouldn't income be the focus uh, right from the get-go, right? Because there's an immediate feedback loop when you focus on cash flow. So the opposite play is having a wealth strategy and a wealth strategy that focuses on cash flow every month and every year because it has an immediate feedback loop, right? You can make adjustments. There's flexibility in a strategy. If something doesn't work right now, I don't want to wait 30 to 40 years to figure out if that works or not. I want to know right away if it works or not and what adjustments can I make and I want enough flexibility built into a strategy for me to do that. Uh, a strategy invests in assets, right? And I've mentioned before on the show and I'll say it over and over again, the biggest asset that you will ever have in your life is yourself. And that's where the biggest investment uh, needs to be made every single day, every single year. And then also, when you do invest in other assets outside of yourself, obviously, they have to be around your strengths and around your unique ability, your competence, your knowledge, but they have to provide income, right? They have to put money in your pocket every month uh, and every year. Um, a strategy and a wealth strategy also includes you paying yourself first. If you've ever read the book, The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson, um, they, uh, they share that principle. If you've not read it, I would highly, highly recommend that. But they pay themselves first and they save about 40 to 50% of their income every single year. They focus on economic and tax efficiency, which Basically, uh, if you've listened to our past episode, it means where are seeing your savings efficiently, positioning assets and your resources as efficiently as possible 
um, with regards to taxes, inflations, uh, commission and fees, and all these other wealth destroyers, right? Uh, being uh, economic and 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 tax efficient with regards to income is very, very important. Um, I've shared the cash flow quadrant that Robert Kiyosaki talks about, where on the left-hand side is the E and the S, the employee and the self-employed. And on the right-hand side is the business owner, the B and the I for investor. Income generated on the right-hand side of the quadrant, especially from the I, the investor, is more tax efficient than income generated in the other uh, quadrants, right? So, uh, the focus needs to be converting income, for instance, that that you've generated on the left-hand side of the uh, of the the cash flow quadrant to income that will be generated from the right-hand side, especially the I. And then control. Control is huge when it comes to a strategy. Uh, I've mentioned the term flex, having flexibility in that, but having control over your cash flow, having control. Um, over when you pay taxes, how much you pay in taxes, right? And limit that tax exposure. That's one form of control. Um, but that is just the, do, doing the complete opposite uh, than having a plan that is based solely on hope. So accumulation versus the cash flow model is huge. Um, and of course, I would look at those two those two concepts as being a huge differentiator when you look at the first opposite wealth play in the opposite wealth playbook, which is a wealth and financial plan versus a wealth strategy. Looking at the current financial planning model, um, we'll also see that you know not only is the it based on hope versus control that we have, but institutions control your money in this this uh, current financial planning model that the majority of people follow right versus you having control over your money in the current financial planning model your net worth is also used as a measurement of your wealth where uh, as opposed to cash flow with a wealth uh, strategy so the ultra wealthy really understand money and the rules of money and they also understand that money needs to keep moving at all times and at an ever-increasing speed and an increased velocity. Otherwise, it dies. The ultra-wealthy and ultra-fluent understand this, and they understand wealth destroyers and inflation. So, you've heard me use this term, money in motion needs to stay in motion, and that's part of the new rules of money, which the ultra-wealthy absolutely understand. They understand that money compounds and multiplies with an effective strategy, but they are also cognizant that if the strategy is not effective, like within a financial plan, uh, wealth destroyers are compounding and multiplying along with account balances. So our first opposite wealth play of the opposite wealth playbook is a wealth plan and financial plan versus having a wealth strategy. The second wealth play of the opposite wealth playbook is focus on strategy versus focus on product. So there's an analogy that I like to use, and that's the golf swing versus golf clubs, right? So I'm from South Africa. Ernie Els is one of my favorite golfers, the big easy. And of course, Ernie got the nickname because he has such an amazing and easy swing. 
And of course, he's a, he's a big fella. <laughs> but Ernie has an amazing swing. So if you would ask me, MC, hey, here's the situation. You can go and play in the Masters at Augusta National, uh, and but you're only allowed to either pick Ernie Els's swing or Ernie Els's golf clubs. I'm going to pick Ernie Els's swing every single time, right? As opposed to the golf clubs. Just common sense. But when it comes to money and when it comes to wealth creation, the majority of people are so focused on the golf clubs and the shiny objects and not focused on the, the strategy, the swing uh, at all. So the ultra wealthy and ultra affluent individuals and families focus on strategy as opposed to focusing just on products. Strategy is what you do products are what you buy, right? So what are you being sold through marketing and advertising constantly? Not strategies. You're being sold products constantly, right? Strategy coordinates vehicles and asset classes. And we've shared how we've done it with, for instance, a dividend paying whole life insurance policy and real estate. And it really includes an integrated approach, right? By combining these and integrating these two vehicles and, and, and products. Product focus is uncoordinated, right? Nothing is coordinated and integrated. Everything is in its own little bucket doing its own little thing. So the majority of people have been programmed and indoctrinated just to focus on products. You know, you can hear it in our language when we talk about, you know, different kinds of ETFs and mutual funds and this and that and, and so forth. So Instead of sharing strategies, we're, we're talking about the shiny objects, right? The products. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've spoken about before is that real estate uh, businesses, uh, commodities like gold, silver, oil, um, blockchain and crypto assets, and also paper assets, right? Like stock bonds, mutual funds, and insurance. These are just vehicles. These are just uh, asset classes and and within them is a bunch of different niches and products, right? That's all it is. Your success will not determine on those vehicles or those, those asset classes or the specific products within those asset classes. Your success will be determined on the investor that you are, right? Robert Kiyosaki has said that the risk is not in the investment, it's in the investor and also a strategy. Real estate just is. Insurance just is, businesses just is, commodities just just are, right? Um, and uh, blockchain and crypto assets such as Bitcoin, they they just are, right? Bitcoin is Bitcoin. It's the strategy and the investor that will determine the success uh, within that they have within um, or utilizing those asset classes and 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 those vehicles. So if you're walking down your hallway in your office, the conversations at water coolers will include probably arguments whether real estate is a good investment or not, what stock is hot, what ETF and mutual fund is the one uh, that will provide the biggest average rate of return. Is Bitcoin a scam or is Bitcoin the holy grail of the new age, right? Maybe you even have a prepper or two in there. Hey, let's throw those in there at the water cooler that talks about how Y2K was just the beginning and that the entire financial system will collapse. All money will be worthless and we're going to need gold, guns, food, and water to survive, right? These are all product focused. None of these are strategy focused. 
in a previous episode, I shared how the majority of people really focus on five to 10% of their money, right? They try to get a better return on that five to 10% of their money through finding a new product versus the successful small minority that takes a holistic wealth approach to create a strategy that efficiently warehouses their savings and efficiently positions their assets to then deploy in income generating assets and investments that produce efficient income. A strategy focused approach will put you in control and accountable as the CEO since you are your number one asset. In a good strategy, as I've mentioned, you are your number one asset. And at the top of that strategy as the CEO, uh, your number one investment is back in yourself and the, in relationships. And then also then in things that you know and understand and uh, things that are also aligned with your strengths and skill sets. And then a good strategy will have an alignment and focus of your resources, assets, and your energy, Right follow one course until successful, focus. Um, I've mentioned efficiency, savings, um, where you warehouse your savings, right? How efficient is that? Um, how your assets are positioned and how efficient your income is, um, referring to the cash flow quadrant. A good strategy will have protection, right? Protection, protecting the downside and risk management. And a good strategy will take all types of risk into consideration, whether it's political, whether it's economical, whether it's market, or whether it's institutional. So uh, the very, very uh, successful and ultra wealthy and ultra affluent individuals and families, you know, if you just take Warren Buffett, for example, Warren Buffett's not going to take a position or go into a position that he doesn't know how to protect himself or how to protect the downside or how to manage the different risks that he has, that he has identified that could potentially harm his chances of success uh, within that strategy. A good strategy will also include dollar maximization, having your money work hard for you, but having your money, $1, doing many different things within that strategy. A good strategy would include momentum, right? Uninterrupted compounding and multiplication of your wealth. And there's definitely a lot of strategies that are allowed for that. Uh, a good strategy would have you be supported by an A-team of power players, advisors, coaches, and mentors, right? Um, and then a good strategy, as I mentioned, will include flexibility. You're listening to the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. You're listening to the Cashflow Ninja podcast and are back to our interview. We are on to the opposite wealth play of the opposite wealth playbook number three. Um, and that is instead of focusing on chasing higher returns and taking on higher risk, the ultra wealthy and ultra affluent individuals and families focus on protecting their money and focusing on efficiency. Now, I'd mentioned that 
as part of an overall strategy, but that's the third wealth play. Instead of chasing higher returns, we're trying to just be more efficient. So most people, I would say, think that the secret to building wealth requires uh, finding a vehicle that produces a good rate of return over time. So they bounce around trying to find the, the product, again, product focus, that's going to provide the best rate of return. And by doing that, they take on more and more and more risk, right? So Delbar released a study um, in 2017 that uh, stated that the average equity mutual fund investor underperformed the S&P 500 index uh, by a margin of 4.7%, while the broader market made gains of 11.96%, the average equity investor's return was only 7.26%. Uh, in the study, they also state that the average fixed income mutual fund investor underperformed the Bloomberg Barclays aggregated bond index by a margin of 1.42%. The broader bond market realized a return of 2.65%, while the average fixed income fund investor's return was one2 uh, well, yeah, 1.23%. So clearly, um, people are having a tough time picking stocks, right? And guessing correctly. So we've heard the statistics, even with uh, hedge fund managers, how difficult it is for them to outperform the market. About 95% of active uh, fund managers do not beat the market averages. So instead of trying to find vehicles that's going to increase the rate of return, um, the ultra-wealthy and ultra-affluent individuals and families look at protecting their downside. Just think about it when you lose money, right? So if you lose 50% in the market, you need to make up 100% of your money just to get back where you were uh, or where your account balance was, right? And then, of course, you have to factor in the time value of money, inflation, fees. If you look at all of those variables, you're going to come to the conclusion that you really never made the money back that you lost, right? The money you lost is gone. And then, of course, I haven't even touched on opportunity cost. The opportunity cost is, of course, the opportunity that was lost of earning a return on that money over the period that it took you just to get it back to uh, the account value or where the account value was before you lost the money. So just think of the opportunity cost also in a sense of that you just didn't lose the dollar, um, but you also lost the um, ability that or the opportunity that what that dollar could have accomplished as part of an overall wealth strategy, doing many different things um, within your personal or your business economy, right? Just think of the rate of return that you could have earned and compounded over the 30 to 40 years when there's downturns in, in markets, right? Um, so there's many different things to, to be cognizant about when it comes to losing money. And that's why these ultra-affluent and ultra-wealthy individuals and families focus on efficiency and protection and preservation of their money rather than just jumping around, always trying to just get a high return somewhere else, right? Warren Buffett's number one rule for investing is don't lose any money. And he's number two, and rule number two is follow rule number one, right? 
Um, David Rockefeller Jr. has also said, historically, our goals has been the preservation of wealth rather than the amassing of wealth right now, right? Protecting their money is priority. It's not the rate of the return, but the return of their money and the protection of that principle that is cardinal. What if you were efficient in avoiding losses and cognizant about wealth destroyers and cash flow leaks and have strategies to ensure protection and economic efficiency? The ultra wealthy and affluent know that the biggest return that they could uh, could possibly get is by reducing, for example, their taxes and eliminating taxes in the future. So um, they pay taxes now on the seed, not the harvest. Um, so just think about it. Think about it in this context. Let's just say they reduce their taxes by, by 20%. There's no return out in the marketplace that over time will beat that return over the, the next 30 to 40 years, right? What if that 20% tax savings is then tran- transferred over to the next generation? Because you've limited and reduced that, right? Think about it uh, just over two generations. So that's why the focus of ultra-wealthy and ultra-fluent individuals is on being efficient and protecting what they have and also risk management rather than just jumping around and chasing products again that's going to provide them supposedly with a higher return. The opposite wealth play of the opposite wealth playbook number four is diversification versus focusing. The ultra-wealthy focus, right? They find their vehicle and they go all in. They invest directly into uh, asset classes. The average person diversifies their money into stocks, bonds, mutual funds, their primary residence, and maybe, maybe a second home, right? So the majority of people have their money in two places. They either have it in a qualified retirement plan Uh, exposed to the markets in stock bonds and mutual funds and or in their primary residence, which is is at risk um, constantly, right? And the average person also invests through Wall Street, not directly into investments like the ultra-wealthy and ultra-affluent individuals and families. And this, of course, is one of the biggest not-so-secrets that is in front of everyone. Everyone's being told, diversify, diversify, diversify in 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 a nice diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and have a primary residence and maybe a second home, right? This is what's being uh, shared and and promoted to a lot of folks, where if you really study what the ultra-wealthy and ultra-affluent do is that they focus. They follow one course until successful. They go all in on a certain area, whether it's a certain sector of business, whether it's an asset class and so forth, until they're successful in that area and in that business. And then maybe then they look at other areas. One of my favorite quotes when it comes to diversification versus focus is actually from uh, not not an investor, but from Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee said, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Warren Buffett also said, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. So why diversification is only required when investors are ignorant. You only have to do a very few things in your life so long as you don't do too many things wrong. 
And then, of course, um, the quote from Andrew Carnegie that said, the way you become rich is to put all of your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket. This wealth play is definitely uh, not a secret. The opposite wealth play, number five of the opposite wealth playbook is uh, the goal of retirement versus the goal of freedom. So while the majority of people have a goal of just retiring and being able to retire, the ultra-wealthy and ultra-affluent have the goal of freedom. Just think about it. Retirement is one of those concepts that doesn't really, it just doesn't sit well with me because retirement means to me, to, you know, if you retire something, it's to put it out of use, right? To retire from something what you do and what you create and what you produce, right? And I don't think that anyone ever wants to stop producing and creating um, uh, to the world and to their communities, right? I don't think anyone has the goal to stop contributing and to uh, stop creating and producing for others. I think what most people desire deep down is not retirement, it's freedom, right? The freedom to do what you want, uh, when you want, with whom you want, right? Freedom of time, place, and association. So just as with the ultra-wealthy and ultra-affluent individuals and families, freedom should be the goal. Financial and economic independence and financial freedom should be the goal because that's what the wealthy are after from the beginning. Warren Buffett never set out to retire, <laughs> right? He's never going to stop contributing. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, none of these guys want to retire. They wanted to create and produce, and their goal was freedom, obviously besides changing uh, the world, right? Opposite wealth play of the Opposite wealth playbook number six is abundance versus scarcity. And um, it also ties in a little bit to the opposite wealth play number five of retirement versus freedom, the goals, right? Because I think a, a worldview of scarce, scarcity as you focused on just meeting uh, the minimum needs that you that you require, right? That's where it's at. And I think that's that's also what the what our school system has taught us, right? The, the worldview of scarcity, because we, we're looking just to have enough, just to have enough to get by. You know, if you think about the conversations that people have around money and around that concept of retirement, what do we need, you know, at age 65 or 70? You know, what, what do we need to retire? How much do we need? How much income do you think we should, we should need at that stage if we factor in inflation? That is coming from a worldview of scarcity and focusing on the minimum requirements that you need, right? If we're focused on, you know, just the minimum requirements of what we need in all areas of our life, it wouldn't be a very fun life, right? We don't just drive the car that we need. If we did, we would be driving a tin with four wheels because that's what we need. No, we, we drive the car that we want. We, we are in relationships with the people that we want, right? And desire, not the people just that we need. Um, we like to eat food that we want that, that, that is delicious, right? We don't just want to eat food that what we need. That wouldn't be very exciting. But for some reason, when it comes to money, we really have settled and taken um, the, uh, that worldview of scarcity mentality to it and say, well, what do we need to be able to retire? The concept, which I just said, 
is not something that we want and, and crave deep down anyway. We want freedom. And that's where the abundance um, worldview comes in. A world of abundance is just an abundance of opportunities, an abundance of just uh, uh, the ability to expand and grow wealth, right? Expanding your mind, expanding your relationships and your, your friendships and your network, expanding your wealth, growing every single year, um, shooting for freedom, right? And then once you achieve freedom, shooting for more freedom and help other people achieve freedom. So the worldview of abundance plays into this, this whole thing. I mean, right now, especially, I'm, I'm on a computer talking to you guys and recording this podcast. Um, we could re- you could reach anyone in the world in today with the, the technology that you have today. Just think of how, how, how many people you can share your message with, right? And how many people you can do business with. It's, the opportunities are endless. What also ties into abundance is the, appro- the individualistic approach versus the team approach, right? When, when there's scarcity, as individuals, we go at it alone because we think that there's not enough for everyone, right? And we're just trying to do things by ourselves. Where with abundance, we embrace the team concept. We know that nothing is built alone by ourselves. So we embrace the team. We embrace our network. We try to expand and grow companies. We try to empower other people around us, whether it's within our family, whether it's within our companies and so forth. So that truly ties into that abundance mentality versus that scarcity mentality. And the final wealth play of the opposite wealth playbook is tangible versus intangible. One of the things that I've seen is the majority of people that struggle financially, especially, which is the majority of people, focus on things and stuff. Um, we've spoken about how they're so, so focused on, 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 on products, right? Stuff, vehicles, real estate, that house, um, all these these things that we can see and touch, right? The tangible stuff where the ultra wealthy and um, ultra affluent individuals and families are very, very much focused on intangibles, the invisible stuff. They value philosophy. They value core beliefs, a worldview. They value principles and values and they, they value creativity. They, they, they love ideas. They love uh, concepts and discussing it. And that's a massive, massive difference where, they're, where the, the, the majority of the population discusses things and stuff and then people. So one, that's one thing that I've learned um, from these very, very successful individuals and families. So that's going to finish off the seven plays uh, that I've shared in today's show um, is the tangible versus the intangible. So just a quick recap of the opposite wealth playbook where I shared a seven opposite wealth plays. The first opposite wealth play was having a wealth and financial plan versus a wealth strategy. The second opposite wealth play was product focus versus strategy focus. The third opposite wealth play was chasing returns versus protection, uh, preservation, and focusing on efficiency. The fourth opposite wealth play was diversification versus focus, 
the fifth opposite wealth play was the goal of retirement versus the goal of freedom. The sixth opposite wealth play was a scarcity versus abundance mindset. And the final and seventh opposite wealth play of the opposite wealth playbook was the tangible versus the intangibles. If you enjoyed this discussion and content, there's a lot more from where this came from. Make sure you sign up for the Holistic Wealth Creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for all your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44. I'm also posting daily videos on Facebook and YouTube and will live stream weekly starting May 2018. To make sure you don't miss any of the live streams, please like and subscribe to my Facebook and YouTube platforms. I'm also dropping content on Instagram daily. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to get in on the action. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. That's our show for today. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.